Last week we talked about the northern kingdom called Israel, how it was captured and destroyed, never to be heard from again. At that time, around 700 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was delivered from the same Assyrian army because King Hezekiah trusted the Lord and obeyed him. But in several years, Hezekiah died. And the Israelites of the southern kingdom returned to their evil ways. Apparently, they had learned nothing from their miraculous rescue. Hezekiah's son Manasseh ascended to the throne at the age of 12 and single-handedly dismembered his father's spiritual reforms practically overnight. The teenager Manasseh's reign marked a spiritual relapse from which the kingdom of Judah would not recover. Now, there would be one more good king before the collapse of Judah, but God's wrath was coming, and everyone knew it. One of Manasseh's most detestable practices was to set up altars in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to Baal, Baal, the fertility god of their neighbors. He also built altars to the stars of the heaven. Worst of all, he took his own son, his own infant son, and he threw him into the fires of those altars as an act of worship to Baal. Now think about that. Sacrificing an innocent little baby to a God who wasn't even real. So far was he into the, the clutches of this false religion that he felt like that was the best thing to do, that that was the most noble thing to do, and that was how to get his God's favor. You know, I will never cease to be amazed at the depravity to which man can sink, uh, that man is capable of when he gets completely caught up in, in wickedness and sin. And eventually he has no conscience. Eventually he is led wherever things might lead him and he has no way to stop. And man then becomes capable of unspeakable acts of wickedness and cruelty sometimes even in the name of religion or in spirituality. And that's what we see too often in our world. Well, as a result of Manasseh's corrupt and wicked leadership, God's people chose not to return to him. So God did what he said he would do. He sent foreign armies to raid Judah. Babylon came. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came. And in a wave of three different times, over a period of about 20 years, he eventually took over the whole land of Judah. And he took over Jerusalem itself. King Manasseh and the prophet Ezekiel were carried off to Babylon along with a lot of other prisoners in one of those first waves. God sent Ezekiel along so that God's message could get to those exiles so that they would know what happened. This is why... You're being taken away, and there is going to be something new coming one day. That was Ezekiel's message. Now, when they heard Ezekiel preach against what they had done, they denied it. They disregarded it. They ignored it. They lived in denial about it, just like so many people might today. Well, yes, uh, maybe I have a few mistakes, but they're not as bad as everybody else. And those from Judah who were taken away in exile just found themselves complaining Somehow that God had abandoned them, that God was not there for them, when in fact God was saying to them, the reason you're going away is because of your sin, and you have not been willing to repent. In the final attack in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army broke through the walls of Jerusalem. They demolished the city. They looted. 
and dismantled the temple, they led the people away to Babylon. All the nobles, all of the people of, of whatever worth they thought might be there. And Jeremiah and a few other people were left behind. Jeremiah is another prophet of God, and he was delivering the same message to the people who stayed behind. God has done this as an act of, of uh, condemnation on what you've done, and God will someday build something new. God will bring the people from Judah back. So here's a big picture of what's gone on for about 850 years now. God spoke to Moses. He built a nation uh, that he had promised even Abraham before that. He built up the nation. It was divided and uh, king after king was a wicked king, only five good among 38 kings in total, none good in the northern kingdom of Israel. And eventually it collapsed, and then 125 years later, Judah collapsed, and both countries are decimated at this point. We have two main prophets in today's lesson, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Ezekiel was carried off into captivity with the first wave of exiles to Babylon. Jeremiah was left behind with whatever people that were poor, disenfranchised, and the Babylonians thought, these people are of no count. We'll just leave them behind. They can tend the flocks. They can watch the fields and keep everything going for us. The promised land had been lost. To say that people were crushed is a huge understatement because they were destroyed physically, emotionally, spiritually. Their beloved temple had been leveled and set ablaze. Their homes were destroyed. Their whole city was destroyed. And for them, life seemed to be over. Not worth living. But that was not the end of the story. That was not the end of God's story because His story was going to include some really wonderful things and it was going to include us. Ezekiel and Jeremiah promised a new beginning for God's people. And while Judah was experiencing this discipline of God and this judgment of God for their failure to live up to God's covenant, God promised a future covenant, a covenant that would be everlasting. Through Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God revealed his great love for his people by promising them a new beginning. Their story was not going to end in defeat. Someday the old would be replaced by the new. Someday, God was going to write a new story for them, and the old story would be rendered obsolete. Now, today, we understand what obsolete means. We understand when something goes obsolete. Think for a moment about some of the things that have become obsolete in the last 100 years. Look at the screen. The old stagecoach, and now the SUV. <laughs> Think about the stagecoach. When somebody would get into one of those and say, I'm going to California, how long would it take? Three months. They get in their SUV and it takes how long? Three days, you know. Maybe two days if they're really hard and fast and driving and don't, don't want to stop too often. And it, what a difference. The one has become obsolete because the other one is so much better. Wouldn't you rather travel to California in that CRV instead of a stagecoach? Another example, oil lamps were used for millennia. Thousands of years, but they have become obsolete now with all the different kinds of electric lamps. If you just looked around this room and think of all the different ways we have to light someplace now. Here's another good one, outhouses. <laughs> Aren't we thankful? Especially on cold days like today. Cold night tonight. We have indoor plumbing. What a wonderful gift to us. Would you want to go back? I don't want to go back to that. 
Some of us never really experienced that very much. You kids probably don't know what that thing is on the left. Handwriting. Let's look at this one. Some of us still handwrite. Um, I don't do it too often because you can't even read mine. I, I can barely read my own writing, so I can't give it to anybody else. Poor Cheryl. She gets some of these notes, you know, do this. And it's like she comes back and she says, what is that? And, and then now we have computers and we have tablets and we have smartphones and we text one another instantaneously. Sometimes it's, it's not worth very much what we text each other, but it's what a difference. One is obsolete almost in view of the other. Here's another one, vinyl records. Vinyl records have become obsolete almost with uh, CD players and iPods and, and uh, MP3 players. Some of us remember our time one more, where we didn't even have computers. <laughs> Thank you. I did not pay for that. I did not ask for that. But remember time. How many of you remember that? You remember when we didn't even know what it was? My dad was working for, with one of those computers at ITT. It took up a whole room. It took four guys to run it, and it was always crashing. They're feeding these cards in it, and then he'd have boxes of cards left over, you know, and the thing hardly worked at all. And nobody could imagine then what we'd be doing with personal computers now. But could you imagine going back? How different life would be? You know, if we, we get frustrated, we get trapped, we feel panicked when our computer crashes, our email server goes down, could you imagine if we didn't have any of that anymore? We didn't have any smartphones anymore. We just went back to where we were 100 years ago. What would life be like? Who would want to go back? Because the new is infinitely better than the old. And this is what happened when they went from the old covenant to new covenant. The new covenant was infinitely better than the old covenant. And God only used the old covenant to train his people, to teach his people, to prepare his people for what he was eventually going to bring. This is one of the great places where the upper story of God is so much bigger, so much more uh, of impact than that lower story, which is really bad. A lot of bad stuff going down down here. But God is doing something in the upper story that is amazing. And he's going to bring something new. God's saying to the Jews, hold on. <laughs> I know it's bad, but I'm not finished. This isn't the end. In Jerusalem... God revealed the coming new covenant through Jeremiah. Look what he said. He said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people, the people of Israel, the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's Jeremiah speaking in Jerusalem. In Ezekiel in Babylon is saying something very similar. Chapter 36 of Ezekiel, he says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I will give to your ancestors. I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So here's this new beginning that God is promising. He's preparing his people for. And it didn't happen right away. God's people, because they're pretty pretty dull in mind, pretty stiff-necked still, took a long time to hear this, to process this, to realize how much they had shut God out of their lives. God says, you hold on. Story's not over. I'm going to do something new. And eventually Jesus, the Son of God, delivered that new covenant. Almost 600 years after the promise of the new covenant was made to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Jesus inaugurated the new covenant on earth on the night that he was betrayed. He met with his disciples in a service like we just had our communion time. They were having Passover, and there was juice or wine, and there was bread, unleavened bread. Three of the Gospels uh, tell us about it. Let me read just from Luke 22. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the supper, Luke says, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Apostle Paul described the differences between the old and the new covenants in several of his letters. In 2 Corinthians 3, look at this chart here. He described the old covenant as tablets of stone, but in the new it's written on human hearts. And he says that the letter of that law kills. It only crushes people. It only shows them that that they sin. But the letter of the Spirit is going to give life. He said the old covenant was a ministry of glory. Remember Moses' face would shine after he had spoken with God. And there was some glory to that, but it kept fading away. But in the new covenant... The ministry of the Spirit will grow more and more glorious. The writer of Hebrews actually adds to this list and adds in the 10th chapter and other places that the old would just bring the awareness of sin, but the new would bring freedom from sin. That the old would would just be this long line of sinful high priests trying to stand in for the people, but really not being holy people themselves. But there would be in this new covenant perfect high priest who would rule forever. In the old, there was this external set of rituals and rules, constantly doing things but not really changing, not really forgiving the sin. But in the new, an internal relationship with God that each of us could have, a relationship of love, relationship of gratitude, a willingness to serve and love God. Finally, we see in Hebrews a limited atonement. It only kind of pushed the sins back for a while. But under the new covenant, there is this once-for-all atonement because Jesus himself will give his life, the perfect Lamb of God, will once-for-all remove sin from us forever. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews describes the new covenant as a better covenant over and over again. Yeah, you had this, but this is better. If you read the book of Hebrews, you see that over and over again. By coming to earth and paying our sin penalty for us, Jesus has already satisfied God's justice, hasn't he? You know, God said to the people of Judah, you've sinned, there's a punishment for that. You've got to pay the price. And when we sin, there's a punishment for that. But Jesus satisfied that debt. Jesus paid that price by going to the cross. Our sin 
had to be atoned for. The price had to be paid. The consequences were very serious, but Jesus fully satisfied our debt to God. Also, God's grace is seen in Jesus. It was poured out lavishly when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. He didn't deserve to die. We didn't deserve to be saved. But God's grace caused Jesus, by that grace, to go to the cross, and we were saved when we didn't deserve it. God so loved us, the Bible says, that the only begotten Son of God went to the cross that whoever would believe in Him could be saved and could live with Him eternally. Now, it amazes us, it astounds us that Jesus would take our place. But so great is his love for us that he came and he did that very thing. The new covenant is a new beginning. And a new beginning for everyone who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, who will trust him to save him, who will surrender their life to him. You can have a new beginning in your life too if you will put your trust in Jesus. So when we come to Jesus, we surrender ourselves. Whatever he wants, wherever he leads. Miraculously, he gives us a new heart. We're no longer having that heart of stone, that heart of death, that heart of of sinfulness. But he gives us a new heart of flesh, a, a heart of the spirit, a heart that desires God, that seeks to follow God. And he places his spirit within us so that we can be changed from the inside out. I want to show a video with you this morning. I want you to take time while you're watching it just to think about your own life. Just remove any other distraction from you. Don't think about the person beside you. Watch the video and think about your relationship with God this morning.
the story of Judah, the story of a new beginning. I think God is saying to us that even in the middle of our loneliest circumstances, those places where we are feeling most captive, most vulnerable, most unchangeable, when we're as far from home as we can possibly be, there's still hope. There is a new beginning that God offers to every one of us. Maybe today you find yourself in captivity. Maybe you find yourself as far away from God as you would ever want to be. And God's promise to you is that if you will repent, exile isn't forever. That a new beginning is offered to you in Jesus Christ. There is a way out. And today if you're in the dark and you can't see, Remember that God hears a penitent heart. God hears a repentant heart. And just as God brought his people back from Babylon, he hears your voice too. And he offers to you a new beginning. But what you must do is humble yourself before God and repent. Acknowledge your need for Jesus and put your faith, put your trust, put your confidence in him. Surrender your life to Him. If you have never done that, or maybe you have done that and forgotten it, you have have walked away from that, today is the day that God is speaking to your heart and saying, child, it is time to come home. It is time to, to start this new beginning that I offer you in Jesus Christ. A new heart, a new life. My spirit will come and live within you, God promises, so that you can do it the right way this time. And you can live with me all of your days on earth. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never made a decision for Christ, that this would be the day that you would would allow Jesus to bring new life and a new beginning to you today. Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. You know their hearts. I do not. I, I don't have any idea of what some people are going through. I don't know how far they feel from you, but I pray for them. and I pray for anyone here today that has never surrendered their life to Jesus. May they discover today that as they humble themselves and as they repent, as they, they put their trust in Jesus and surrender their lives to him, that you are mighty to save that you are able to save, you are able to give new life, you are able to give a new beginning to any of us, no matter how far away we have gone. Help us, Lord, if we are in that position where, where we need to repent. We have, we have followed Christ in the past, but we've drifted. We've, we've become distracted. We've actually become captive again. I pray today, if there's anybody here, that, that this prayer would be for them that they would turn back to you today and that they would recommit, rededicate their life to you. You are mighty to save. As we sing that together, may decisions be made that need to be made. May your spirit lead us. May your spirit prompt us. May he push us out to, to make that decision today for you. We pray in Jesus' name.